Good morning. I was going to use my tablet to do this sermon, and I opened it up to come up here and do that. And it was, I hope that's not a preview of things to come, because it said I had 10% battery left in my tablet. <laughs> so I'm going with old school. Um, Lord willing, the, the wind will not come up, or maybe the Lord wants the wind to come up, and it all goes away, and then we'll see what happens from there. But I, this morning when I, when I woke up, I got ready to come here uh, this morning, my wife was up, and I heard that phrase that men shudder and become paralyzed in when we hear that phrase, and it went something like this, you're not wearing that shirt, are you? <laughs> Right? <laughs> and I, I just froze because I didn't know the answer. And I said, hey, this is the last sermon that I'm preaching here. As far as I know, I can wear any shirt I want. <laughs> to which she subsequently booted me out of the house and locked the door. So, you know. Okay. It was all true up until that last part, all right? <laughs> Anyhow, I want to share with you this morning something, and um, kind of something actually Sean said in the prayer and kind of fit in with this. We often will pray for things that going uh, through our lives, and, and we're expecting God to work in tangible ways, and, and that's fine and good. We should. We should expect for him to work in tangible ways and, and do different things. But sometimes... His answer doesn't always come in that form. I think just about any of us here can attest to the fact where we have, we have prayed and we have asked God to deliver us from certain things and it doesn't always work out the way we have in our minds that it ought to be working out, right? He, he has other ways and, and, and sometimes maybe it is a, it is a blessing that, that we just really haven't stopped to think about. And what I want to share with you this morning is a blessing of that nature because as, as things go on in our lives, as things go on in the world around us, and as we pray for these things, sometimes God does answer these things. He does deliver us from certain trials and tribulations. He does bring about answers that, that just either rid that problem or bring that physical blessing into our lives. But sometimes he doesn't. But there's always one thing that, that remains, and that's his living hope that he's given to each one of us. And I want to explore that with you this morning, because I think as we look around what's going on in our society today, I'm seeing things, and some of you are older than me, have seen more things than I have seen. But I never thought 40 years ago that we would be standing here today questioning what is the definition of a man and what is the definition of a woman. I never would have thought that. Never would have believed that we would be a society that would degenerate, in my opinion, that far. That we would have to figure out which of the one of the 54 pronouns ex ex uh, describe me best. Uh, by the way, just so you're clear, I think man describes me best, okay? We're living in a time where, right, good is, it looks like good is being called evil. 
and evil is being called good. It just seems like things are flipping around here. And so we're going, Lord, what, what is going on? What in the world is happening? And, and, and if we take a stand for righteousness as Christians, we get ridiculed. We can open ourselves up to per persecution. Or God forbid we get canceled. Right? I mean, we, we take that stand for God's moral will and then and people say, oh, how could you believe in such a thing? That is just so racist. That is whatever it is. That is so phobic. What was once considered immoral is now seeming to become all the more moral in people's eyes, or at least amoral in the world's eyes. Now, this shouldn't surprise us for a couple of reasons. One is because Paul kind of described that was going to happen in Romans 1. You read Romans 1, you get a pretty good description of what is happening to humanity today. What is going on? But also, I remember reading a book in the 1980s called The Great Evangelical Disaster by Francis Schaeffer. And in that book, he writes about all of these things that are going to be happening to our culture as he saw it. He talked about how society would be coming into accommodation to accommodate the world spirit, to accommodate the fleshly nature, that the church would buy into that. That the church, as, as the world would move further toward immorality, the church would be one or two steps behind, but still moving in that direction. And at the time I read that book, I thought he was nuts. I mean, how in the world would this ever come to that place? And as I read that book, I reread the book about a year or two ago, and I thought, my gosh, this guy was a prophet. He saw what was happening here. I mean, he had, obviously he had an understanding of scripture, but I mean, he really had an understanding of scripture in a lot of these places. He could see some 45 years ago what I couldn't see. He saw it coming. And this is kind of what is happening to those that Peter is writing to in 1 Peter. That's where we're going to be this morning is in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, hopefully you got an outline when you came in. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. Because Peter is writing to a group of Christians in the area of what we call modern day Turkey now. And he's writing to them to help them refocus on their hope. What's about to happen to these people? They're living in an area that up to this point, had been relatively friendly to Christianity. Because Christianity, up till about 60 AD, was considered to be just another sect of Judaism. And Judaism was lawful in the Roman Empire. And so because Christianity was just seen as another sect of Judaism, it, it was like, okay, we're, we're, people can practice that, but the Jews didn't see it that way. They never saw Christianity as just another sect of Judaism. Certainly the Christians didn't see themselves as that. But the Jews were allowed by the, by the Roman government to not participate in the temple sacrifices and the emperor worship and all of that. And because Christianity was considered that, they too were able to uh, not have to, to follow those admonitions. But then about 60 AD, that all began to change. The Roman Empire declared that Christianity was not a sect of Judaism. And it, be it began to become illegal to participate and worship Christ and God, our Savior, in that way. And so persecution began to increase. 
people that own businesses who were Christians, uh, the, the, they, the, the masses would not shop in their stores. The two places where you found social interaction in that time primarily were in the synagogue and in the marketplace. And now as Christians, you were cast out and you could no longer enter into the marketplace. People would just shun you. They would turn and look the other way. They wouldn't go into your businesses. They wouldn't sell to you. And you were kicked out of the synagogue because the Jews didn't want to have nothing to do with you if you called yourself a Christian. And so these are people that now are outcasts and they're under some persecution. And Peter is writing to them to encourage them because Peter also knows that something else is coming. This letter is written about 64, 65 AD, depending on who you, who you uh, talk to. But it is just a couple of years prior to the persecutions that Nero is going to exact against the Christians. And Peter probably sees this coming. And probably the people that he's writing to in this area see it's coming. And so he wants to encourage them here. He wants to encourage them that even though they're going to be shunned and even though they're not going to have a part in the marketplace or in the synagogue, that that's okay because you have something that is so much more precious than anything you get in the marketplace or anything you get in the synagogue. And that's your living hope. And so he's going to share that with them. He's going to remind them of that. And I want to explore that with you this morning. I want to revisit that. And... I hope to remind you of this at the end, but your assignment after I finish this message is to read the rest of the book of 1 Peter. Because in verse 13 of 1 Peter, Peter says, therefore. 113 says, therefore. After all this, I've talked to you about a living hope. We're going to explore that. But after I've talked to you all about this as a living hope, therefore, live like it. And he spends the rest of the book describing what that's right. That's your assignment. Read the rest of the book to find out how to live out this living hope that we're going to talk about this morning. So with that, let's take and look at 1 Peter. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. I'll read these 12 verses. Follow along as I read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, a greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, and though you, excuse me, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out 
the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look in these things. As we read through this passage, there are a couple of things that stick out to me about this whole idea of living hope. And I think before we unpack that a little bit more, we need to define what hope means. Our English definition of the word hope is kind of misleading. We say things like, I hope it doesn't get too hot today. I hope that it doesn't rain tomorrow, or I hope it does rain tomorrow. I hope my wife doesn't get too mad at me for wearing this shirt. That all those definitions of hope leave an element of uncertainty. It could rain. It, it, it could get hot. It, it's, no, it's not certain that these things will not happen or will happen. But the hope that is expressed in the Bible, the word that is used here is not that at all. The, I, I, don't, I don't do this very often to you guys of being, this is my last sermon here, I'm going to do that. And Sean's going to love it. The Greek word for this is... <laughs> It's actually the word elpis, and it's a word, and it's used over 50 times in the scripture, and it's a word that means a certain hope, something that's going to happen with a certainty, a certain expectation. You can bank on it. You can hang your hat on it. It's not like, oh gosh, I hope God does this for me, and what if he doesn't? He might or he might not. No. If he said he's going to do it, he's going to do it, and the hope that we have in him for that is a hope that we can bank on, and it is surely going to come. And so when he's talking to them about this living hope, it is not some pie-in-the-sky idea, but it is that it is going to happen. Paul says in Ephesians 2.12 that we once had no hope because we were without Jesus. He's using the same word there, peace. We once had no certain hope. But now that because we are in Christ, we have this certain hope. We have this certainty that we are going to be with Jesus forever. And in a minute, you're going to see why we can count on that. But we now have that. In, in Colossians 1.27, he says, Now, because we are a people, that we have hope, and it is a hope, and it is the hope of glory of Jesus Christ. We have the hope of glory to come. So no matter what happens in this life, if, if certain prayers are answered in, in a physical fashion on this earth, great. If they don't, our response should be great. Because we still have Jesus. We still have that certain hope. We still have that living hope. That doesn't make it easy so much. I get that. It's still tough sometimes. But if we look at life through this lens of hope, and this is what Peter is driving toward his audience, if we, if we look at life through this lens of hope, then it, it, it's not as, as hard to look at life and deal with the issues that come because we know in the end, God wins. And so he describes this, this hope beginning in verse 3. First thing he says is this. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just praise God. Why? Because, he says, we have been given a living hope. This, this, the first thing I see is this hope it, that it's living as opposed to a dead one. The idea here is that the hope is active. It's, it's not just some idea that just kind of lays there in a blob and doesn't do anything. But it, it's on the move. 
But there's also another component to this idea of living. It's that it's also active right now. There is an element of the hope that we experience by the power of the Holy Spirit in us from Jesus right now in this life. That if we but look for it, if we, if we listen for it, if we just submit to his leading, that we can experience some of that hope right now. We're not experiencing it in its fullness. We get that in glory. But we can experience a part of it now. In whatever comes our way, we can experience that hope. It's an active hope. While hope refers to the eager expectation of glory that is to come, the living aspects of this tell us that it is at least partially experienced here and now. The moment that we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we begin to experience this living hope. We begin to deliver, experience the deliverance from the tyranny of sin. That's part of the blessing of this living hope. This is our salvation. The second thing that I notice about this living hope that Peter points out in the passage is that we have been given a new birth into this living hope. That we are no longer who we once were. They are no longer who they once were, but they have been changed. They are now transformed in the image that God has equipped us and wanted us to be from the beginning. Remember in Genesis 3 in the beginning, God created Adam to have fellowship with him. That was the plan. The plan before the fall was Adam had a fourfold harmony. He had harmony with God. He had harmony with himself. He had harmony with his wife. And he had harmony with creation. Then sin happened. The fall entered. That fourfold harmony turned into a fourfold disharmony. That Adam now had struggled with him, his relationship with God, had struggled with the relationship with himself, had struggled with the relationship with his wife, and had struggled with the relationship with the creation. And it was to be that way for all time until Christ comes again. The idea of this living hope also means that we just don't hang around and wait for this living hope to be realized at some future eschatological event. Eschatological is a big word for last days. Okay? I just had to show off a little bit there. Sorry. It, it, it is that... It is, it's not that we are just to wait until, oh, I'm just going to persevere until Jesus comes. It's not that idea. It's about living for him here and now. That to understand that even though times get tough, those times don't have to overtake us. If we focus on the fact, remember that no matter what happens, that we have a living hope. The idea of, of this new birth is found also in, in, in passages like Ephesians 4.24 that we are to put on the new self. This new self is one that is not to be enslaved to sin but to rather let the Holy Spirit wean that out of us and to live for him on this earth. Colossians 3.9 and 10 tell us that we have the new self which is continually being renewed. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's what sanctification is. It is that new life that Christ has given us that is continually being renewed day by day. It's what Jesus said to Nicodemus when he said to him, in order to be a part of the kingdom, you must be born again. You remember that story. Nicodemus struggled with, how can I enter my mother's womb again? That, that's not possible. And Jesus tells him he was talking about being born again by the Spirit. Not only does Peter tell us that this hope is living, 
and this hope is brought into by a new birth. But he also tells us that this, that this new hope comes, this, this living hope comes to us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 3. This means that you and I, we cannot attain this on our own. This is a gift from God. It is the grace of God that brings this living hope into us. And we need to remember that. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Remember Romans 5.8? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why? So that we could have this living hope. So that we could share in it. So that no matter, he, Jesus knew what the world was going to be throwing at us. He knew what was going to be thrown at these Christians Peter's writing to. But he gave his life for us so that we could experience this living hope here and now as well as receive it in glory where he is. Remember what he said to the disciples in John 14. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am there may you be also. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and to receive you unto myself that you can be with me there. That was part of the hope they had to look forward to. That is the hope that we have to look forward to. That Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven for to be there with him. And so as we, as, if we get tempted to look on the events of this world that are going on around us, you watch the news, you hear the stuff, you see all these behaviors and things changing, it can get discouraging. And I get that. And, 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 and we, are, we are called to, to make an impact into that. But we are not supposed to let it overtake us and become hopeless because we have the living hope of Jesus Christ in us. And we can make an impact for that. How important is this idea of the resurrection? I, I remember years ago, one of, the, one of the guys in the church came up to me and says, uh, I, I have a friend who, who wants to believe in Jesus. He wants to believe in him giving his life for us and dying on the cross for his hands. All that was fine. But when it came to this rising from the dead thing, guy had a problem with it. It's just like, I, I just can't imagine somebody rising from the dead and doing that. I, I just can't. And so he was asking me, how important is it for my friend to believe in the resurrection? <laughs> and in, on one sense, that's kind of a funny question. On the other sense, if somebody hasn't read their Bible, they don't necessarily know about 1 Corinthians 15, do they? They don't necessarily know how important this is. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that the resurrection is incredibly important. Because if Jesus Christ be not risen from the dead, our faith is what? In vain. It's useless. It, it, it's not, it, there's no benefit. But he says what? Jesus Christ has in fact been risen from the dead. See, if there's no resurrection, we're not going to be raised. There's no hope. But because he has been raised from the dead and conquered death, we can bank on that living hope because he overcame it. He overcame death. It could not hold him in the grave. This is why we have a living hope. It's because Jesus Christ had conquered death. He, washed, he, he paid for our sins on the cross and washed us white as snow. He also says something about this living hope, Peter does to his readers, that this living hope comes with an inheritance. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, we are now co-heirs with God. And in, in Peter's readers would have understood this really well because in, in, in Bible times when, 
when a father had sons, and then it was sons primarily, and, and the father had the inheritance that he would spread out to the sons. And the oldest son would get the largest portion, and they had the greatest responsibility to take care of the, the parents in their old age. But they would get this inheritance, and, and, and it, was, it was something that they could bank on. It was a sure thing. Peter says, because we are now with God and in Christ Jesus, we have an inheritance, and it can never be taken away from us. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, that we are co-heirs with Christ and we have this inheritance that we can never lose. Peter says four things about this inheritance I want to point out to you real quick here. He says the first one is, is that this inheritance can never perish. What does that mean? It means it will never pass away, it will never disappear, it will never come to ruin. Nothing can affect it. That inheritance is so solid, nothing can destroy it. That it will never, excuse me, it will never spoil. There's no shelf life on this inheritance. It's not something that you need to use up before it goes bad. It is just as glorious today as it, and it's going to be just as glorious when you go to meet Jesus. It is kept there in heaven in that state of not being affected or polluted by sin. He says another thing about this inheritance that it will never fade. It will never lose its freshness. Unlike a flower of the field that when the sun comes and over time it withers and falls away. The hope does not do that. The inheritance does not do that. It continues to have the same glory, the same brilliance, the same majesty, the same awesomeness in glory as it does right now and vice versa. But he also tells us where this inheritance is kept. It's kept in a place that's better than any bank you could ever put it in. It's kept in heaven for us. That means God got it under control. He's got it under lock and key. He's keeping it there and nothing can ever take it away. Nothing can rob us from the inheritance. To quote Paul in Romans 8.38, neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor angels nor demons nor any created thing can take this living hope away from us, can take this inheritance away from us because it's kept in heaven for us. As we continue to see what's happening on around us in our life and we wonder where is God in this, he is there. He is not silent. He is giving us this living hope if we but focus on it. He also says that this living hope results in the shielding of our souls. Not only does he say it's kept in heaven for us, but he says this about the salvation as well. He says, and into inheritance can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed. This idea of God's shielding is the same idea Paul is using when he says, take up the shield of faith. It is that that nothing can overtake it, nothing can pierce it, nothing can, can conquer it. it it may have well referred to the fortification of the garrison inside the city walls. That what would happen is that the city walls may, may give way and the enemy might start to come in, but when they got to the garrison, the garrison was refortified and they couldn't overtake it because it was guarded and shielded. God is shielding the inner garrison of our lives, which is our very souls. Our souls cannot be taken by the enemy if we are in Christ. Because he has sealed us for that day of redemption. 
it says in Ephesians that God has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of this inheritance to come. That nothing can take it away. What is, we have this living hope then that Peter's described. What are the benefits of this living hope? This living hope grows through the refiner's fire. In the, in the verses that follow, verses 6 and 7, he says, you, in these things you greatly rejoice, your living hope, even though now for a little while you may have had to suffer trials of many kinds. That doesn't mean that trials are necessarily going to come. They do, and they, they, can, they come and go. But when they do, he says that we need to rejoice. The, the people that Peter's writing to, they, they're rejoicing even though they have trials. Why? Because they know where their hope is. Do we know where our hope is? One of my semi-most favorite passages in the Bible is James 1.3. I just love James 1.3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. That sounds like all kinds of fun, doesn't it? I used to hate that verse. Sorry, God, but that, I'm being honest. I used to hate that verse. Because, I mean, who, who likes trials? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't life be great if we didn't have to go through any? Trick question. Because there is a benefit to trials. We're going to look at that in a minute. But he says to count it on joy. Why? Because trials help us grow in our faith. They help us grow in this living hope. They, trials reveal some of the weak areas that we may not know exist in our faith, in our life in Christ. And so God will let those things come and he will allow those to purge our faith just like fire purges gold of the impurities that are there because our faith is more precious than gold. He's going to help us see these things that are getting in the way of fully trusting him and growing up in him by these trials. Did you ever stop and think that's what trials are for? They're not meant to cause you suffering and grief for no reason. In Christ, they're meant to bring us to a place of humility, to bring us to a place of understanding, to bring us to a place of growth. So are we asking God, what's, what's the point of this, Lord? Why am I going through this? A couple of things you should know about trials, where they come from. There may be more. I'm going to give you four, four I could think of. First one is they come, they come directly from Satan. Remember Job? Job was going through all of these trials and he had friends that were trying to counsel him on it. He even had a wife that tried to give him some good advice. Didn't quite work out so well. And he, and, and he was going through all of this stuff and yet Job didn't do anything wrong. Satan had asked God permission to inflict these trials on Job to see if he could get Job to curse God. Job didn't. So sometimes they can come directly from Satan. Secondly, trials can come by the disobedience or carelessness of others toward our lives. An example would be something like divorce. Some of you have suffered through divorce. You've had those who, who, have, who have sinned against you in this way. 
And, and trials come out of that because of just the nature of things and the way the relationship is broken. And there's journeys to be taken through that. And so sometimes the, the, the transgression of others against us will, will cause trials. But sometimes the trials and tribulations come our way come because of our own disobedience and or carelessness. The sin that we do. How did Jonah's problem start? He started running from God. God said, I want you to go here. Jonah said, no. He goes the other way. There was a series of events that occurred in Jonah's life because of that choice. Sometimes those things come because of our own disobedience and carelessness. Sometimes trials come our way. And I think this is the one Peter has more in mind than anything else when he's writing to these Christians in, in, in that region. Sometimes these trials come because of our obedience to God. Because we want to take a stand for what the moral will of God says about whatever issue we're talking about. And, 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 and let me encourage you, if you're taking a stand for God's moral will, please do so with all humility, with all grace, with all understanding. Don't be arrogant about it. Let's be loving, let's be gracious, but we need to take a stand. But we need to understand that may invite some persecution. It may invite some trouble. In John 15, 20, Jesus tells his disciples, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. That's something we can count on. It's going to happen, taking a stand. If we focus on the fact that we have a living hope into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, that's kept in heaven for us, it's, hopefully it'll be easier for us then to be able to endure that persecution. Because we have the lens of Christ looking at that and not the lens of the world. Not the lens of our own comfort, if you will. Trials can also increase our love for God. This living hope is so awesome. At the end of the passage that we read, Peter says that even the angels long to look at this. This is how incredibly valuable this living hope is. That it is there for us. God did not have to give this to us. You get that, right? But out of his great love for us, he has done that. And he's offered it out there and said, it's for you. Take it. I came that you might have life and have it to the full, he says in John 10, 10. And, and you, could, you could easily put in there, I came that you might have a living hope to the full. That you might have this living hope to the full. So what does all this mean? Peter started out his letter addressed to the elect and strangers in the world. They were to live as aliens in this world because their citizenship was not here. Their citizenship was in heaven where their living hope was ultimately to be consummated at where they would be with Jesus in glory. Do we see ourselves that way? Do we see ourselves as that this is just a place we are passing through and why we are here, we are to be representing our king. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that we are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents his boss, his king, his, whoever it is he's representing. 
and represent the interests of that country. They're not a citizen of the country that they're in, but they're representing it there. That's who we are. We are representing Jesus Christ here on this earth. What kind of representation are we? Are we the kind of representation that people in the world who don't know Jesus, they look at us and they see, wow, they're really no different than me. They're going through all these trials and struggles and they're behaving the same way. And they're, they're, I don't see any difference there. I'm not going to go for that. Or do they see our lives as a new self? Do they see our lives as that and they look at it and they go, they should be freaking out over this stuff, but they're not. Or they have this belief, which is really a little different. I wonder why they're so convinced about that. What are they seeing? Are they seeing our selfishness and our selfish ambition? Or are they seeing Christ in us? The hope of glory. What are they seeing? In chapter 2, verse 11 of 1 Peter, Peter will urge his readers to live like strangers and aliens in this world. And that's what we need to do. We need to be careful to not get caught up in this world. And keeping our living hope and focus can help us do that. As I close with a couple of passages here, I'll have the worship team come up. Paul encourages us in this way to live in the world. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. One of the passages that I often quoted to you over the last 30 years, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, fits here as well. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will set your path straight. A lot of times, the stuff that we're going through and the things that are happening on around us are not going to make sense to our own understanding. And we may get wrapped up in trying to make sense out of that. And God understands that. It's okay. He gets it. But we need to remember this living hope that we have in him that's kept in heaven for us. When those answers don't come like we're looking for, there is one answer among probably some others as well. But this one answer he has given us for sure that we can hang our hand on. That we have a living hope in heaven kept for us. Nothing can ever take it away from us. Nothing can ever cause it to spoil. Nothing can ever cause it to perish. Nothing can ever cause it to fade. Jesus has called us and given us his very life for you and me so that we might have life full of a living hope and have it to the full. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving us your son, giving us Jesus, to come and die on the cross in each one of our places. To give us this living hope. And I thank you for the fact that we can experience some of that living hope now. And knowing that it's just going to continue to grow and continue to be revealed as we continue to walk with you. Lord, help us in our weakness when we're, when we're tempted to be overcome by the trials and things that this world wants to throw at us. When we see stuff on the news, we read stuff in the paper and on the internet that want us to question why is it all worth it. 
Lord, that we need to remember that you've called us here for a purpose. And then in the end, you've given us this living hope that is there that nothing can ever take it away. And Lord, when we don't have answers of any other kind, bring that answer to our minds. It is because of what you've done that we can have that living hope active through all of that. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for that precious gift. May all that we do bring you glory and honor and praise to the highest as we walk this earth. And let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see our good works that glorify you, Father, in heaven. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Yes, Lord, we can count on you. We can count on you to follow through on your promises. We can count on you when you say you're coming again to bring us unto yourself. That no matter what comes our way, Lord, that all of these things, you are more than faithful. And that you are so true to your word, more than we can ever understand or imagine. Lord, help us to remember that, no matter what comes our way, that what you said you would do, you will do. And at the end of Peter's letter, he writes this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for coming this morning. Two, uh, two things. Remember, first of all, read the rest of the letter of 1 Peter because he says, therefore, okay, that's your assignment. Secondly, hope to see you back here tonight. God bless you.